We are in our second message now for the series on learning God's way of handling conflict. And we're, the shorthand for that is the Peacemaker series. The, the group, there's a Peacemaker Ministries headed up by Ken Sandy, and that's where I get a lot of this material. But it fits with our, our mission here at East Glenville. Our mission statement is we are learning to love God and love others as we follow Jesus together. And I'm convinced that as we learn to follow Jesus, it will change how we deal with the problems and conflicts and disagreements we have, not only in-house, but in all our relationships. And so this morning we're going to talk about what's called the slippery slope. But I want to start off with one of my favorite Narnia books. Are you familiar with the the Narnia series? It's C.S. Lewis. He wrote these children's books, the most famous of which is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which they they made into a good movie. They made a couple other books into movies. They have not done this one. And this one's called The Horse and His Boy. And it's one of the more lesser known of, of the series, but it's still one of my favorites. It's about Shasta who is a young boy trapped in servitude in a a country not in Narnia. Um, And he meets up with a talking horse from Narnia. By the way, if you don't know Narnia, the animals can talk. That's one of the key things. So together, uh, they're both kind of want to flee the servitude they're trapped in, and they want to flee to freedom in Narnia. And that's, that's their whole adventure. At one point, Shasta gets separated from everyone else, including his, his friend, the talking horse. And he ends up navigating the mountain pass into Narnia completely alone in the darkness and fog. And so he's traveling this dangerous road, and he doesn't even know it. He he's, does not know where he's at, but he just is sort of heading this direction up this mountain pass on, the edge, on a cliff's edge. And as he's walking in darkness... He can hear there's something walking next to him. And he's not sure what it is. And eventually the voice speaks out and begins talking to him through the night as he continues to walk. And he gets a little further and he can make out the shape of the, the, the creature talking next to him. And it's a lion. And he's greatly afraid but he, you know, the lion had been so, you know, encouraging and comforting. And eventually you, you find out that the lion is who's known as Aslan. Aslan in Narnia is like Jesus in our world. Um, and so this is what Aslan says to, to Shasta about how he's been with him all the way through his life. He says, I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so you should reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death so that it came to the shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. So it's... Aslan revealing, I have been with you, been 
there in your life even when you didn't realize it. And then what you find out is that Aslan had been walking with Shasta in between him and the cliff edge. Otherwise, Shasta would have certainly just stumbled over the cliff in the dark, that he had gotten between him and the the, the danger of the cliff. And that thinking about conflict as a slippery slope, right? Conflict can be something that easily leads us into the heat of battle and and before you know it, we're falling into this, this grave mess of things. Have you ever had that? You're, you're just talking with someone and something gets said or brought up and next thing you know, just like a fire takes place, right? And, and it's a full-blown argument. It's like you fell off a cliff into it. Or sometimes it's even worse. You see it coming, but you can't. You can't prevent from going. You see where the conversation's heading. You know you're going off a cliff, but you can't seem to prevent it. And what we want to learn as we walk with Jesus is how he can help lead us to different ways of responding, keep us from falling off that cliff into that kind of heated conflict. As we walk with him, we learn a different way, seeking peace, and we become, as we talked about last week, agents of reconciliation. The God who made the universe is a God who is, is a God of reconciliation, of bringing together, and he invites us to be the sons and daughters who are also agents of reconciliation. So I want to introduce what I think was the probably the, the most helpful part of this, this series for me when I first encountered it, and that is called the Slippery Slope Illustration. And it, it's a chart. There's actually a couple different versions of it. For those who have the workbook, you'll see it more clearly. I know you can't see it completely, but I'm going to go through the elements of it. And you'll see there's actually two different versions. They're just a little different. I've, but either way, this, this concept is the same. And what it's saying is there's two different ways to fall off the cliff. And the the blue and the red are both ways of going. And there are two different tendencies we have in responding to conflict. And so I'm going to go through both of those. And the goal is is, is we are different. And we're all going to have different ways of, of responding when things get heated. And a natural ways of responding And it's helpful to understand what is your natural tendency. And it's also helpful to understand what are the natural tendencies of the people around you. So on one side, the red side, are what's called attack responses. So you go into a conflict, things start to get heated, and you go into attack mode. Think think fight or flight. And so this is going into fight mode. And the goal is, is you shift responsibility from yourself toward the other person. And sometimes, so the first step down is assault. Now, it may not be physical assault. It could be just verbal assault. And the main thing of that is blame. It is your fault or criticism. Um, I was, remember talking to a teenager long ago, and he talked about a, a, 
the church he he had been this Sunday, his his home church, kind of a small rural church, and and he said the pastor in a sermon told us that we weren't given enough, and it was it was all their fault that 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 everyone was that he wasn't making enough money and 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 he wasn't getting paid enough. It's because they don't give enough, and I guess there was a whole conflagration in the church and. But the whole idea, it's your fault. I feel this way. It's your fault. For those who watched that video we showed last week of the couple fighting, right? How quickly did they get in? This is your fault. You're too focused on your parents. You should be more focused on our family, right? That blame, that criticism. Um, Usually in church, we can avoid literal fistfights. Though I, I do note, I've been reading through 1 Timothy and and Timothy says, you know, my, my hope is that in every church place that the men would use their hands for prayer, lift, lifting them up in prayer, rather than quarreling or fighting, right? You know, Paul, Paul doesn't, didn't have that high goal. It's like, my hope is that each church can avoid fistfights, right? That, that's, you know, he realized that, that was, there was that kind of conflict taking place. Um, one, my, my mom was in a church once, and she told me about how they had a huge conflict about kitchen use. And the, the head of the women's guild got really upset at the, the children's director because she was having this program, and their food was all mixed into the kitchen, and the kitchen was not being stored right. And so on Sunday morning, the head of the women's guild starts throwing the food that didn't belong in her kitchen out into the hallway, and, and some of the ladies had to calm her down. But, but right, we can get, get pretty heated in the midst of this. Um, we go on the attack. We assault. Assault can turn into litigation. The next step, we take them to court. We want to have a judge say, you're right and he's wrong. And sometimes it's a literal litigation, but we can also litigate in the court of public opinion. You want to tell everyone how wrong they are and how right you are. You want to get everyone on your side. You present the story in the way that makes you seem right and they seem wrong. Even if you leave out little details or mitigating things, you get people on your side and that can easily get into slander, speaking evil of others, litigation. And the natural end, to if you really fall off the cliff, what's the, the, the final end is murder. The most extreme form of assault. Um, Jesus equated mur- anger in your heart to murder. You know, if you, if you let anger, anger rule in your heart towards your brother, God sees that. And, and in him, it's as if you're, you're murdering them. Um, in... Um, more metaphorical way, it can become trying to drive people out of your life, refusing to relate to that person at all, maybe trying to drive them out of the the group or the church that you're in. Like, I don't want you here. You don't belong here. It's it's pushing them out so that you can um, win the day. That is the ultimate cliff thing. I'm here today and not in prison because I wasn't quite fast enough. My first attempt at doing middle school ministry was a disaster. 
So back when I was young and doing uh, youth ministry with Young Life, I mostly worked with high school kids. But my, my regional director, my boss, my area director, wanted me to learn, kind of develop something new. And she says, so I want you to, for this, this school year, at the end of the school year, get, do something with middle school kids, and that'll help them move into high school the next year. So for three weeks, we did a, we called it wildlife events, and, um, you know, used people's houses. Went okay. It was, I was learning the difference, you know, middle school, you got to keep everything quicker, and just a different ball game. And, um, and then finally, after the, the third event, every, all the kids were milling around. I was just kind of glad it was over and uh, not sure how great it went. And, but kids are hanging around, just kind of having fun together. And then two boys come out squirting people with squirt guns. Okay. I, I was going to try to stop them because, you know, you, you don't want that to go unrestrained. But I, inside, I'm like, yeah, yeah, funny guys, that's fine. You know, I, I was sort of laughing, no big deal. And then someone said, it's not water. And I had gotten some on me as well. A bunch of the girls, said they kind of went after the girls. I smelled it. These boys, you'll agree with me once you hear, they had went behind the house and peed in their own guns. Yes, that's exactly right. And so they were shooting people. Told you, Disaster first attempt. Um, and and when, once I smelled it, it's like a switch went off in my brain. It's like I turned a lizard brain, right? If I could have caught one of those boys, I, I may not be here. I may still have been locked up. Um, thankfully, I wasn't quite fast enough to catch him. Um, I, I share that to say because, all right, after the event was over and everyone went home, though, I, I switched how I was responding. I, I didn't want to deal with it. I mean, the parent, parents weren't happy. You know, one of the got a few calls from parents. What, how should I have handled it? I should have gotten together with these kids and their parents and talked about how that's not appropriate and, you know, spelled out all kinds of stuff that was not acceptable. How did I handle it instead? I pretended it never happened. It was the last event of the year. I was 22 years old. I, I didn't really know how to do this stuff. And the idea of meeting with a bunch of parents terrified me. And my boss actually had, at the end of the year, had switched to a new place. So I, I, didn't, I didn't have a boss that says, you need to go do this. And so I, I just dropped it, pretended it completely didn't happen. Because that, that's the other side of the cliff. So if we go back, you know, if we go to our thing, the, the, you have the attack responses. The other thing is the escape responses. And this is avoiding conflict. And sometimes we, we go this way because it, it feels like maybe, well, this is how we keep, keep peace. This is how, you know, it's how we make peace is we just don't talk about it. It's not making peace. It's, it's faking peace because there really is conflict there. And so to, the first step in, in escape responses is denial. Pretend that a conflict does not exist or refuse to take steps to resolve it. Um, I remember we had a, a volunteer with us, and we made a schedule change and forgot to, to tell her, and she ended up, it messed it up, and, and we felt bad, and we apologized, 
And when we went to say, hey, you know, we said, we're sorry, we missed, forgot to tell you about this. And um, she said, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Refused to talk to us, right? It, it Really, she, avoid, she stopped coming, avoided doing anything, but, but she didn't want to have that conversation. It's fine, it's fine, you know. Um, this happens when you have that person in church who acts out or uh, just does stuff, and everyone's become so used to it. No one wants to confront the behavior. It's all easy. Well, that's just, that's just so-and-so. You know, that's just how they are. And it's easier to let it go than to actually try to deal with it. Because you know if you deal with it, it's going to be a problem. It's going to create an explosion. Um, and what it means is the conflict is never dealt with. It's, it doesn't mean the conflict goes away. It just means it's there and people are unhappy and it never gets resolved. So denial is the first step. The second step is flight. What do people do in the midst of that? They run away. Like, ah, I'm going to... And it could be they, they're, it's a quiet anger. They're angry at people and they just says, well, I just won't talk with them. If they're on this side of the church, I'm going to sit on the other side of the church. Um, or I won't, if they're on the committee, I won't be on that committee. Um, they avoid the conversation and, and say, I just don't want anything around to, to do them. Now, I, I, let me cl- qualify. There are times when we need a place for a pause, right? If, 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 if we're in the heat, heat of a conversation, it may be we need to say, I need, a, I need a little time to think about this before I'm ready to have this conversation. That's not necessarily the same thing. Sometimes it's actually better to walk away temporarily to, to gain perspective and, and gain control of emotions as long as you eventually say, all right, we, we need to, do need to talk about this. Flight is when you say, I don't ever want to talk about this. And I can tell you, I, I've seen so many cases in my ministry where people just leave and don't come back. And they won't, you, you never even know why sometimes. You never find out, no matter how much you want to, like what was it? What was the conflict? And sometimes it's over someone that has nothing to do with you as the pastor. It's just there's a conflict and they don't want to deal with it, so they run away. That's, that seems actually more common than the, the big blow-ups at times. So denial, flight, what's the end result? What's falling off the cliff completely? Instead of murder, it's suicide. The ultimate form of flight. When people lose all hope of resolving a conflict, they may seek to escape the situation um, by attempting their own life in a, in a literal sense. But I think there's also kind of an emotional suicide where people completely disengage emotionally. Even if they're still around, they cut off all communications. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's the other side from murder. Um, I don't want to be around you, and so I'm going to turn inward. Emotional suicide. Those are the two ways that we can fall off the cliff. What we want to, well, first we're going to ultimately consider how, how can we not fall off the cliff, but I want to look at first two ways that Jesus talked about dealing with conflict and what he says on this in two different passages, two different scenarios of conflict that are in the scriptures and specifically addressed by Jesus both in the gospel of Matthew. 
So Matthew 18 is our main passage. And here we have scenario number one. And this is the situation you have been sinned against. Right? How did that start? Um, if your brother sins against you. Now, we can think of this in terms of someone does something sinful and bad, and, and this is about how church discipline works. And it, it does apply to that. But I want you to think of it in a different mindset. I want you to think about it in terms of relational conflict mode, okay? So this is not someone, it's not dealing with sin within the church, it's dealing with conflict between people. And so you feel like someone has done you wrong, has offended you. So what does Jesus say to do? So your brother or sister does it. Jesus is specifically talking about fellow believers, though this stuff still applies in all our relationships, Um, but it's someone who's in relationship with you. So if they've done this, what do you do? What are you supposed to do? The relationship is broken. Well, what would we naturally do? Well, first we go tell all our friends about what a total jerk they are, and in modern day, we'd post it on Facebook, right? Um, Or maybe our tent, not say anything, just give them dirty looks until they figure out what they did, right? We know how to do that. Um, or mostly we think, well, they, they're the ones that sinned. They did wrong. They should come to me and apologize. I will sit and wait for them to get right with Jesus. Yeah, a lot of people have waited, waited a long time for that to happen. So what does Jesus say to do? None of those three. He says, if your brother has sinned against you, go and tell him his fault. Go talk to him about what has happened, why you feel offended, why you feel like he's done you wrong, between you and him alone, privately. Don't get others involved. Don't try to to win, win the argument by getting other people on your side first. Go and and try to make peace with your your brother or sister in the Lord. Um, you know, what do we want to do? We want to talk to everyone but that person. And, you know, I'm so angry about what they did to me. So we, we go to, you know, and the funny thing is, is there's been cases where the person we're mad at doesn't even know that for them, it's like, I, I didn't even know you were mad. Have you ever experienced that? They're mad at you and they're talking to other people. What's it called, by the way, when we talk to other people and complain to to other people about what someone's did? You all knew the word. Yeah, I guess. Um, And gossip does not lead to reconciliation. If someone has offended you and it's not something you can just overlook, as a believer, you are commanded to go talk to that person first and commanded with the goal of seeking reconciliation. Um, what does it say? You have gained your brother back. That's important, that you're going to them with the purpose of making peace, not just letting them know how much of a jerk they are. Not just fixing them, it's restoring the relationship. This is how it's different from, um, you know, the uh, attack um, series. It's different from the, the um, escape ones because you go to them 
and it's different from the attack that you don't go with the purpose of, of attacking or assaulting or blaming. You go with the purpose of restoring the relationship. Now, what happens if that doesn't work? Sometimes we need help. So it says, if, if that doesn't work, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you to go talk to them. Now, in a conflict situation, who do you take with you? Do you get your buddies, you know, your friends, and say, hey, we're going we're, we're gonna to go, I'm going to go talk to Jeff, and I'm going to get my friends, and we're going to tell Jeff what he needs to, this is the price of sitting in the front row, man. So, um, we're going we're gonna to fix him, you know. No, Jeff's not going to listen. It's, it's going to see them as, oh, that's, that's Mitch's buddies. You get Jeff's buddies, people that Jeff knows and is willing to listen to, hopefully mutual friends who are believers, and say, let's, let's talk this out, especially when it's a clear thing of, of there's an issue. That's what Jesus is saying. Take, take one or two other friends along, people with you that love the other person. Sometimes we need help. We're called to be agents of reconciliation, and this is not easy for any of us. Philippians 4, Paul is writing to this church, and he's really the whole letter is about trying to make peace within this this church, that there's a conflict going on. And he finally gets to the point in in chapter 4, and Paul says, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. We don't know what the conflict was about. That's funny. Paul does not fix the conflict for him. He says, I plead with these two women to to come to an agreement in the Lord. And then I plead with with you, my, my fellow yoke fellow, help these women resolve this conflict you know, these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, I know they love the Lord, and I know they're, they're working for the gospel. So, friends, help them come together and work this out so that conflict does not tear the church apart. The last thing Jesus says out of this is, is if, if they still don't listen after you and your friend, Take, tell, tell it to the church. And in this case, Jesus is talking about the church leadership. Like you may actually have to get the church leadership involved in working out this conflict um, and, and seeking restoration. This is important enough within the body of Christ that it is a part of being a, an elder or a church leader in some way to help foster these kind of um, conflicts being worked through. And, and working people. But what if they still refuse to listen? Treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Obviously, that means shunning them, right? Like the Amish do. We're just going to not talk to you. No, of course not. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? He actually had dinner with them <laughs> and hung out with them, right? It means it, it does affect the relationship, but it doesn't mean you give up on them. It means you continue to try to maintain that, foster that relationship to, to win them ultimately back to, to, to reconciliation. Jesus goes on to talk about how important it is for the church to work towards this stuff. And in verses 18 to 20, 
he, he talks about, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on, loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, and and if, if two of you agree on earth about anything, ask and it will be done by my Father in heaven. Notice how, how the unity and how prayer matter, right? If, you, if you're praying about it uh, together, if you're in unity and able to pray, you will have effective prayers. God, God will back what you're doing. And this is put in the context of reconciliation, seeking peace. Are we praying to restore peace and working through these conflicts in, that we have, or do we just sort of run away and pretend they don't happen? Ultimately, Jesus reminds them, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. What is, he is with us. He is the lion walking beside us in life. And especially when it's two people who love the Lord and are walking with Jesus, he can help foster that, that reconciliation that's needed. That's scenario number one that Jesus talks about. You have been sinned against. What's scenario number two? It's the opposite. You are the one who's done wrong. You have offended your brother. And on this one, he's saying, if you are coming to the altar to offer your gift to the Lord. Now, this is put in the context of the time of coming to the temple. And maybe you're coming to the temple with your goat, right? You're going to bring your sacrifice to the temple. But as you come, maybe you hear God's leading in your mind, in your heart. And it comes to mind that you said something harmful to your brother or sister. That, or you did something and, and you know you hurt them. Maybe you didn't even do it initially, but, but you, when you recall your, your last week or your last month, like, oh, I, I, I did damage here. I need to, to get it right. And so what does Jesus say to do? Well, he said, first hurry up and finish your offering and then go talk to your friend. No. He says, leave your gift there at the altar. Reconciliation takes priority even over worship. Why? Because if we're in conflict with one another, it's going to affect our worship. So, so what do you do? You go up to some guy and say, hey, hold my goat. Right? I've got to go deal with something. Hold my goat, I'll be back. It's not like, hold, hold my beer. But, you know, hold my goat, I'll be back in a little bit. And, and you go find your brother or sister and you set things right. You apologize for what you've done, or you um, you find some way to, to make peace with them. That's how much God values peace. Now, note, note something. So what often happens is everyone else, everyone in the situation feels like the other person's at fault. They're going to wait for them to come to me. You ever notice that? Like, well, I don't need to go talk to them. They're the ones that did wrong. They got to come talk to me and apologize. But note what Jesus says. If you are the offender, go talk to them. If they have offended you, go talk to them. Right? You don't get out of it. Just because you think they're in the wrong and they think you're in the wrong doesn't mean you get to the stasis. Both sides then are still called to go and initiate and talk and Work it out. Maybe they'll say something that you realize, oh, I did have a part to play in this, and I'm sorry. And remember, what's the goal? 
then you have gained your brother back. Jesus says, you know, don't go to court. Settle matters with your adversary before you ever get there. Don't take it before a judge because the judge may see things differently than you do. I I don't watch these shows. In fact, I I despise them. But there's the Judge Judy, Judge... what, What other judge ones are? I shouldn't have said I despise them. I know some people find them enjoyable. To me, they stress me out. So that's why... Um, but oftentimes I've seen them playing, if, sometimes going to visit people in nursing homes. I remember those, the, the daytime television thing. But when, so when I have seen them, I'm always amazed by this, how shocked people are when the judge rules against them, right? Because they can't imagine themselves being wrong, right? They can't imagine not, people not seeing it exactly the way they see it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Beware. You know, the judge may see things differently than you. He may actually see more clearly than you are. And, and you're going to get, you're going to face what you don't want to face. The other person might bring the conflict before the judge in prayer. And you may be the one that has to answer to God for this. And ultimately says, and, and you will not get out. You may be thrown into prison and knock it out to you've paid the last penny. I believe Jesus is talking about how in the midst of conflict and anger growing in our lives, we can get in the spot where, where we're trapped in anger. And it's consuming us. And until we deal with it, there's no escape. Until we're willing to forgive, there's no escape from that. Romans twelve eighteen says, as far as it is possible with you, live in peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone, including and especially those in the body of Christ, but on but all our relationships. There are four basic peacemaking responses that I want to talk about today, and I'm just going to highlight them because um, each week we're going to go into each of them a little more depth. Um, And so this is rather than go into attack mode or escape mode, there are four options. The first one is go to higher ground. And this is asking the question, how can I honor God in this situation? And it's deciding honoring God is more important than winning the argument. Can I say that again? Honoring God is more important than winning the argument. Would you all say that with me real quick? Honoring God is more important than winning the argument. I needed that reminder. My wife will tell you I need that reminder often, right? Because in in the midst of it, you want to win the argument. Um, And that's, that's the thing. But really... God's glory matters more. Paul, Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and there's lawsuits happening between Christians. And he's like, I can't believe you guys have lawsuits. The, the very fact that you have these lawsuits means you have lost the battle already. And he says, why not rather be cheated? Th- think about what he's saying. If you wanted to glorify God with your money, how much money would you spend? 
right? I mean, in the Middle Ages, they, they spent their money to build these amazing cathedrals to the glory and honor of God. We find other ways that we'll spend our money to, you know, supporting missionaries or whatever it takes to glorify and honoring God. And, and Paul's saying, why not instead just write off whatever you feel like you got cheated because bringing this into a conflict is dishonoring to God. You will bring glory to God by just forgetting your money. Why not rather be cheated? He's, he's writing to someone else that says about a, a wrong that one believer had done to another. He says, credit it to my account. Receive him back if he's done anything wrong. Charge it to my account on your account on, on, because of your love for me. How much money would you pay, pay to glorify God? It's, it's far more important that God be honored than I win an argument. Number two, the second one is get real about yourself. Excuse me, yourself. In the midst of the conflict and, and disagreements, examine your own attitudes. It is so easy to see where others have done us wrong. Sometimes we have trouble seeing our own part in what we've done. So a big one part of this is, is getting real about ourselves, examining our own heart attitudes, our words, our tone of voice. A third peacemaking response is gently engage others. This is that part where Jesus says, go to your brother, just you and him alone, right? Go for that conversation, but go with the goal of, of seeking understanding um, you're, you're not denying it. You're going to go and seek a dialogue, but neither are you going there to attack. You're going to seek understanding and healing in the relationship. The fourth pe- peacemaking response is get together on lasting solutions. That means focusing on restoring the relationship and not just getting what I need out of it. Considering the needs of others as much as you consider your own. So those are four broad peacemaking steps. There's one last possible first step that could, could actually do a lot of good when it's appropriate. And that comes from Proverbs 19.14. And that is, um, is it on the screen there? There we go. 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. It is to a man's glory or woman's glory to overlook an offense. S- say you're, you're going along and, and someone bumps you in the hallway. You know, that, that's one obvious example. And you realize, oh, they're just in a hurry to get somewhere. They didn't mean to do it. I can overlook this and not be mad. Or say someone says something very sharply critical to you, but then you look and can tell they're, they're having a day. I can, I can overlook this. I don't need to go into, now, you should not have said that to me, you know, or anything like that. Sometimes it's best to overlook an offense. We can do that as long as what they're doing is not doing damage to the relationship or damage to themselves. There's times that we can overlook an offense, and it, that's awesome. Sometimes we can be so easily offended, um, and yet so insensitive to offending others. God wants us to flip that. Let us be sensitive to others and not, not quick to offend, 
but let's be con- and considerate to others, but let's not be easily offended. Let's look overlook what we can. Because God's glory matters more than my my status. God's glory matters more than my feelings even. And the work of the kingdom matters more than my honor. What I want to close with is I want you to decide that you want to honor God with your words and thoughts and attitudes. Psalm 19.14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We can decide, Lord, I want my words, I want even the attitude of my heart, what I think about to be honoring to you. And that is my first and highest goal. And so I'm going to have the worship team come up. And there's a, a, an older worship song based on this, this psalm. And I want us to sing it together. And maybe for some of you, many of you, this might be new. Um, I want you to learn the song. I want to, I want to stick this song in your head. So that as you think about your, your relationships and your, your um, connections with others, this becomes a prayer for you. So we'll sing it together, and then we'll just give you time to, to pray about your ongoing relationships.